Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. podcast for each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host Adam Sokol and today's guest is Lucy Clark, international bestseller of the latest book The Hike. She has written several best-selling books that are known as destination thrillers including One of the Girls, The Castaways, You Let Me In and several others. Her books are page-turning, edge-of-your-seat thrillers that you are going to want to read in one single setting, and the hike is no different. It tells the story of four women who go on a holiday to, you guessed it, take a hike in a place they've never been. And what ends up happening is they realize they are not the only ones on the mountain. And I don't want to give too much more away, but again, clear your schedule if you get this book because you are not going to want to put it down. Our discussion today is all about Lucy's passion for surfing and how she discovered it, what it does for her and her personal and her personal life and her, her mental health, and how it kind of helps kind of refresh her brain for when she gets back to the writing process. And then we also transitioned and dovetailed just a little bit into a conversation about her destination thrillers and what that means for her as an author, all these different places that she's gone and really done the work and seen all the little nooks and crannies and the atmosphere that really fleshes out a world and makes it real for the readers. It's a really, really great conversation with an extremely talented and wonderful person. I think you're very much going to love this conversation and I know you're going to love the hike. When you get done with this book in most likely one sitting, if you're looking for another book that is somewhat similar, uh, I really, really loved Near the Bone by Christina Henry. This came out a few years ago at this point. Uh, It's a little more horror than Lucy Clark's novels, but it is that time of year. We are in September now, so it is the spooky season. Uh, Near the Bone tells the story of a woman who is trapped on a mountain as she's trying to survive more than one monster. It's very, very scary. Uh, It is very, very heart racing again, but I really, really love Christina Henry's writing. I have read just about everything that she has written. And so Near the Bone is a really, really good kind of pairing novel with Lucy Clark's The Hike. If you ever want to get a hold of me, you can find me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. You can also find me at Passions and Prologues on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. I'm posting clips there. If you want to see some videos of each of these episodes, you can find me on YouTube over there. Uh, And then just really quickly, if you missed last week's episode, you're going to want to go back and check that out with Angie Kim, who is the current Good Morning America book club pick author as well. So really good stuff there. So in case you missed that episode uh, from Labor Day or whatever reason, 
uh, go back and check that out. I think you're really going to love it. Okay, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Lucy Clark, author of The Hike on Passions and Prologues. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Okay, Lucy, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? Uh, It's going to be surfing for me. Love it. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. When did you first kind of discover this passion for surfing? Was it when when you were really small or was it a little bit later in life? It's been much later. And I think that may be why there's so much passion for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I live in the UK on the south coast of England and lots of my friends surf and my Husband is a professional windsurfer. My brother surfs. Loads of people around me surf. Mm -hmm. And and I think as a sort of teen, it was something I wanted to try. But back then, there weren't that many women surfers. Um, And I don't know. I just didn't really, I just didn't do it. And then I am now 42. Um, I had children. And once I kind of came out the other side of having, I've got a six and eight-year-old, once I kind of came out the other side of that, I was just really ready to do something mm-hmm. just for me. And um, yeah, and I just got, you know, fit and strong enough to to learn to surf. And oh my goodness, I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's wonderful to learn something a little bit later on because there's no like, there's zero pressure. I'm not going to be entering competitions. I am just doing it for sheer pleasure and joy. And there's no need to look good in my wetsuit. I'm just like out there in windy, whatever conditions I'll be out there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I love it. I think it's a, it's a pointless thing. Like most things in life are <laughs> like, if you really drill it down, like, wow, am I spending so much time doing this? It, there's no purpose to it other than just pleasure and mm-hmm. being out there in nature. So that is my absolute favorite thing. Uh, I would put it above Almost everything. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I know what you mean about learning something later in life. So I, growing up and when I was at university, I was a baseball player and I still love baseball today. But after I graduated, I became a runner. And since then, you kind of mentioned like all the surrounding people in your life being connected yeah. to surfing. Same thing with my family and running. Like my my brother is currently on day like over a thousand of running in a row outside at least. Yeah. Uh, my dad is 73. He just ran a half marathon again this past oh, year, gosh. like one of those families. And so when yeah. I, it was the same thing. It was when I graduated from, from college, I didn't know what to, I was like, I need something to keep mm. myself active. But like you said, it, it's not for, like, I run races, but it's, I don't really care where I finish. It's all about yeah. just like the joy the of challenge it. And, and exactly. yeah, just something to do that is different from your everyday life. Right. Yeah. So approaching it when you are an adult, how do you go about, because surfing is admittedly something I am wholly, I mean, I'm familiar with it in the sense that I know what surfing is, but I have never really done it myself. So how do you go about learning to surf as an adult? What was the process like? Yeah. I mean, for me, because friends and family surf, I I didn't go and 
do a course or anything. I just got a really old board, um, like a kind of, we call them a foamy board, so like a soft top. Um, mm. And I already had a wetsuit because I do other water sports. Um, and I, I think the hardest thing was learning to read the forecast, so knowing when there was swell coming, because where mm. we live, it's not a regular, uh, you know, we're not California or Hawaii where you get pretty much waves, you know, every day. But yeah. here you need to read the forecast and know when the swell's coming and be in the right place at the right time. So that was hard. And I'd always be like WhatsApping my brother or or like, you know, saying like, oh, when are you surfing? You know, tell me, tell me. And mm. then once I learned to read the forecast, then I'm just good to go. And I just rock up at the beach with mm. my board and my wetsuit and and just flail around a bit, learn how to paddle, get stronger, wipe out all the time, you know, all of those things. Um, and I think the joy is just, I had a very small goal, which was to just be able to trim away, which is just to kind of like stand up on the way, but go along the way face rather than kind of riding it straight into shore. That was my mm -hmm. goal. I, I want to do that by the time I'm 40, trim away. And so I did that. And then you know, you kind of naturally want to progress because it's just so much fun. And I'm like, I want to ride bigger waves and faster waves and like, you know, have more style and grace when I do mm. it. So, yeah, it's been wonderful. And I've since, you know, been, we went to Morocco earlier this year, actually for book research, because I'm setting my next book there. But um, it, but we went on, on purpose to a place where it's like, it's kind of a surfing bay. So mm -hmm. yeah, really enjoying it trying to fit as much in as I can around my writing and I think it gives you like fantastic contrast to being at the desk and headspace and you know yeah. that kind of like you have to be so in the moment when you are paddling for a wave so yeah no I I love that so much because I I know to an extent exactly what you mean so for me for running I I have a, a day job that is at a desk I'm an aspiring writer so it's either like I'm at my desk doing my day job or I'm working on a manuscript and it's like it's yeah. a lot of sitting and so and being connected and so I, I think that for me that is running it's that ability to basically completely disconnect and just go yeah. and and be out and um was that something that kind of like like you said that sort of balance between writing and, and being able to sort of move your body and be you know mm -hmm. out amongst the world and focus did you feel that right away because I will fully admit from a running standpoint I did not feel that like quote-unquote runner's high for a while yeah. so for you did you notice like oh my god this is something right away or, or was it something that was sort of learned um I think I've always known about myself that I need that balance of like physical movement and desk I'm kind of like quite an outdoorsy person so before I was surfing I would be running or hiking or mm -hmm. paddleboarding or doing something um and even if it's just going for a walk because I think if you have if you're lucky enough to be able to write for a full day, and I know most people are squeezing it around other jobs, and I did all of that as well for years. But right now in my career, I'm able to write. I have kids, so I write while they're at school. And, it, you know, if you've got eight hours, that's too long to just be sat at a desk. Yeah. For me and my personality type, like, that's no good. So I will always go outside and do something. And surfing, you know, you can't plan in because it's just when there's waves, there, mm -hmm. there are waves. So um, I just make sure like even if it's just doing a bit of yoga in the garden or there's always something that I'll do every day to kind of break up the yeah. stillness mm -hmm. um, which is good it helps yeah I, I remember um, I've had so many authors basically tell me like full-time authors <laughs> talking about how their quote-unquote day job of being a writer is really like doing all the things around 
writing and like avoiding like um lee child told me he's like if it's an eight hour writing day i probably write for 90 minutes and the rest of it is just <laughs> thinking about or avoiding writing I was like yeah <laughs> absolutely i would say like this year this last year my 70 percent of my working hours are not writing it mm-hmm. is like doing other stuff to do with scripts or publicity or admin or zoom meetings or cover design or whatever it is you know mm-hmm. just so much is not writing you know and I think getting that balance can be hard you know I I had a month in the summer in July where I just kind of cleared my desk of extra stuff and I think mm. it helped everyone goes on holiday so it's quite quiet um, and I wasn't getting a thousand emails a day and it was so nice I was like oh my gosh I can actually like write 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 without all the you know other mm. stuff going on and um, but then you kind of get to the end of that period. And actually, for me, I think I really like a balance of doing a, a good chunk of writing every day, some of the kind of like business side of being an author, and then the outdoor stuff too. And if like a perfect day might be like four hours writing, two hours of other author businessy stuff, and then like an hour outdoors and an hour eating good food, like that's a perfect, right? That's a perfect day. <laughs> that's a full day. That's a great day right there. Um, yeah. Speaking of like the being outdoors and, and, and the surfing aspect and how it sort of connects to the actual business side of, of being an author, I'm curious for you, like I said, I running for me is, is very much clearing my head, but it also is ideas percolate all the time. So does the getting outside and, and surfing and doing those things, do you think there is any sort of connection between that and the writing you're doing or is it? specific is it like entirely a time for you to kind of clear your brain and not think about things with surfing it's definitely a clear my brain and not think I think Mm. because I'm such a learner still with it there's so much I'm having to kind of think about and when you're in the sea there's you know you're kind of contending with all the elements and trying to like make sure you're in the right place at the right time and I there's no headspace for other thought mm-hmm. and that's why I like it because I don't I get in the scene I don't think about anything else until I come back out mm-hmm. um, but if I was to go for a run or a walk it would actually leave me quite open to just mulling and I really like that too that's like a different thing if I'm in the middle of a plot tangle I would love to go for a walk or a run and just let things percolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't always come to a, a you know, a, a satisfying conclusion um, just by doing it. But quite often you get, you know, a good, just a little something, a nugget unlocks while you're out. Mm-hmm. That you, you brought up an interesting point that I wanted to ask you about. I, I love asking like thriller mystery writers about this concept of, you know, because anytime, and you would know this, even more than me, but like anytime someone reads a thriller or a mystery, like I feel like, and I this frustrates me as a reader, so I'm sure it frustrates you as an author. Like, if people don't love the twists, they say that, like, well, that wasn't a good book, which I yeah. hate because in my mind, I'm like, if I enjoyed the process of reading the whole story, that mm. that makes it a good book. But I'm I'm curious from from your writing standpoint, how you approach getting yourself into a seemingly unsolvable aspect of a story and then solving it like your your latest book the hike which we'll get into in just a moment like I assume it's a lot about putting people in a specific place that they can get away from like how do you I guess this is like a long-winded way of asking if you're a plotter or a pantser when it comes to the parts of a book that keep people wanting to turn the page 
Yeah, I think I'm. I think I sort of fall between the stools of being a plotter and a pantser. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is the hike is my eighth novel, and I don't have a set process. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've sort of tried different things with every book, and each book just opens me up to the process in a different way. Um, when I'm writing, like for the, with the hike, for example. I didn't know what the main twists would be. I didn't know who was going to die when I started. It was very much the concept um, was set four women out on a trail in the wilderness mm-hmm. and see what happens to them. Um, and that's kind of what I did. I got to know my women. Uh, there's four key protagonists who have been friends for life. And they go on a holiday each year together and they take it in turns to choose where they'll go. Um, mm-hmm. And this one year, it's Liz's turn. She's kind of a bit more of a straight liner than the other characters. She's a GP. She has two young children, a marriage that's failing. Um, and she just is thirsting for something a bit different. And she decides, right, I just, I don't want to sit by a pool and drink cocktails. I need to do something. I need to get out. I need to kind of like push myself out of my comfort zone. And she says to her mates, you know, guys, this is what I want to do this year. And they are just like, oh my God, we're meant to be on a holiday. You want me to hike up a mountain for four days with a tent on my back. This sounds awful. But because they are her, you know, old friends, they show up for her and they do it. Um, So that's kind of what I had to start with, with the novel. It was like, it's going to be Norway and it's four women and it's a hike and everything else just unfolds in, in the writing. And I tend to have to do a lot of, drafts because it might be my first draft which happened with the hike I got to a kind of conclusion that just didn't work at all I kind of Mm. built up all this tension and didn't know where to take it and so then you have to kind of like go back and like the clues are always in what you've written so I'd like go back and unpeel a few more layers and think oh okay so the story isn't about that this is the tension strand I need to pull on Mm. more strongly and 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 that's kind of how I find my way through the story and the structure that's that's so interesting because I'm I'm always fascinated because obviously you as an author have no way of knowing what like you said what piece of tension is going to stick with readers but Mm -hmm. is it at this point like you said having you know with this being your your eighth novel do you have you kind of learned to trust your gut with those types of things or is it sort of like you know like okay if this is like making your heart race is going to make a reader's heart race. Is that sort of track? Yeah, I think um, I think where I trust my gut now is that when I come to a problem in a manuscript and I know it's not working and I don't know how to fix it, I think now I don't panic about it. I'm just like, mm. this, is, this is my job. Like, it's so frustrating because I want to sit at my desk for how many hours and write this many words and it doesn't work like that. You know, some days you're go, kind of going backwards and unpicking or... Um, and that can be really frustrating those days. But I think with the hike, you know, my experience is um, a writing, I'm writing destination thrillers. Mm-hmm. Is that I know that I want to set up a story where there's lots of different strands of tension. So in the hike, you've got the kind of natural tension of the women and the friendships and mm-hmm. that kind of implosion of emotions that might happen out on a trail. So that's one strand. And then you've got another strand of, the people that they meet when they first arrive in Norway and they sleep in a lodge for the first night and they have this kind of big night and they kind of put the cat amongst the pigeons because there are these four like quite young women in the middle of a lodge with hikers and outdoorsy people and you know 
what kind of impression do they leave and what follows them out on the trail mm-hmm. um, and then you've got the kind of tension strand from the landscape itself which kind of promotes a really natural tension anyway because you're out in the wilderness and there is no cell phone coverage mm-hmm. and the weather is changeable like they're just very real things so as an author I'm looking at these different strands of tensions and thinking mm-hmm. you know, which one do I want to pull on uh, I want the reader to feel very much like, oh, there's potential threat coming at all angles. Like, mm. what's what I need to keep my eye on? Where's the real threat? And mm. that's kind of what I play with. So I suppose as I've kind of progressed through my career, I'm, I'm perhaps a bit more confident at playing with the different tensions and mm. not needing to know at the beginning which one will be the real problem. Um, you know, I let that develop. Yeah. So you mentioned, and I love um, on your website where you said it basically says like when you're not on a research trip, it is the real reason you're not. Like I love like the fact that you you mentioned like these research trips are so important. Of course, writing destination thrillers, but with that in mind, and you mentioned Monaco before, this one being set in Norway and all the different mm-hmm. places you've set your you know your stories in the Philippines and these different places. For you, does a story come out of a location initially, or is it like you mentioned? There's so many different like potential threads and, and storylines with the hike. And is it, you know, this idea at its core of these women and their like friendships? Or I guess for you, where where did the initial idea come from? Was it location or character driven mm-hmm. or sort of like that moment of action? I think um, I always start with place in all of my novels. So mm-hmm. I feel like I want to... For me as a writer, I want to be inhabiting a world that I love for the next year, year and a half that I'm writing the novel. So place always comes first. Um, I love writing chewy female dynamics because mm-hmm. it's what I'm interested in. So I'm normally putting some kind of kind of women, whether it's sisters, friends, um, it can be a couple, it could be anyone, a solo traveller someone in a situation um in a place that I'm interested in mm-hmm. and they might do something that I love like hiking in the new book in Morocco it's going to be surfing like I try and bring in passions of mine or good people that I know my husband spearfishes so in uh, a single breath there's you know a whole element of that um and yeah just writing things that I'm interested in because then it makes it fun for me. And I suppose that's just, I have a note on my, um, you can't see it, but on my notice board and it says, write the type of book I want to read. And it was my advice to myself when I started before I was published, just Mm -hmm. to literally write the sort of book that I would enjoy reading. And Mm -hmm. you hope then that there will be other readers that share your taste. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's kind of it, really, the focus. No, I I love that actually that, the manuscript that I'm like querying and, and editing down now, it it was the same thing. Like I basically put a tweet out in the world. I was like, I wish there were more books about X thing. And like one of my author friends like screenshotted it and texted me and they're like, so write it. And I was like, oh my God, it was like a light bulb went off. Yeah, I love that. And I have to imagine, especially with it being, because I've talked to so many authors who say like, you know, it, before you get published, it's your dream to get published. Mm-hmm. And then if you are, you know, you do the work and you're fortunate and like there's a lot of things that come together like if you get published and then it becomes your career mm. now it's your career but it's it's so interesting because writing and storytelling is this medium where like yes it is the thing that you do that it like quote unquote employs you but 
if it just becomes like another job and you lose the interest, people are going to be able to notice that. So I, I love what you said about still like finding things that are passionate for you because that bleeds through in the work. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine wanting like deciding like, okay, I'm going to write another book. Like these people who will write like 40 books in a series and like, yeah. It's always stunts that, that that's doing. work. That's work. And yeah. I want writing to always be a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as soon as it stops becoming that, then I'm out because it's it's a really hard job. If there's not passion in it, it's mm-hmm. I don't know, there would be no there would be no pleasure. So and that's not to say that every day at my desk is joyful because there's really hard stretches, of course, um, when you're struggling with a book. But I think yeah, I that to me, I think the way to keep that passion there is to write about things that I love in places that I love. And I also try and make my work environment um, a real pleasure as well. So I mm-hmm. right now I'm at home in my home office, but I actually I do all of my kind of business side of writing here. But I actually work, uh, do most of my writing in a beach hut, um, mm-hmm. which is like a 10 minute cycle from our house. And there's no Wi-Fi and it's right on the sand and it's like 20 paces to the sea and it's mm. remote and cut off. And um, yeah, and that's a really lovely place to write. And it makes, you know, when I've got a writing section of my day, I'm like, yes, I'm going to go and write at the beach hut. And it, mm-hmm. and it becomes a pleasure. Um, and I think when you have a smaller amount of time to write rather than a whole eight hour day, it's great because I remember um, reading something Elizabeth uh, Gilbert said, and it was about having an affair with your writing. Like mm. that's how you should treat it. It's like that moment you sneak into a corridor with a stolen like 15 minutes or whatever. And that that passion does is there when you're like, I've had a really busy day doing X, Y and Z of other stuff and in meetings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I've got like two hours. And I'm just going to write. And that keeps it keeps it exciting. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that excitement, what was the most exciting part about writing the hike? Like, was it? like you said, kind of finding these different levers to pull and places to to focus attention on? Was it discovering a new you know place in Norway to to put the story? I guess like what what excited you most about writing the most recent book? Uh, I think the research trip was absolutely yeah. the best part. Um, I went off for five days with my husband and we hiked with, you know, just all our gear on our back. And um when we were out on the trails, we didn't see a single person for five days. It was just deeply remote. We were out of season as well. Um, and you come across in Norway, these cabins, which I write about in the novel, um, called DNT cabins. And they are free. Well, they're not free. You can just pay like a very small amount to stay in them. And it's whoever turns up can Mm -hmm. stay. Like you would never, they were originally built so that people who are out in snowy, frigid conditions have a safe harbour, really. Um, And so, yeah, they're dotted around. They're all really just beautiful timber, simple structures with a wood stove. Um, And, yeah, you might be hiking all day and you've seen this, like, DNT cabin marked on a map and you just, you think, is there going to be one here? (laughs) Is there though? Because I see nothing except like mountain peaks or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we took tents with us. We took a tent because we just were like, I just, what if we don't find one and we're stuck? You know, it's dangerous. You kind of need to like either be very familiar with the territory or take precautions. So we carried tents. 
But lo and behold, the DNT cabins are there in the most insane places and the door is left unlocked. So you get to this fairy tale wooden cabin, you've hiked all day, you're hungry, you're probably wet and cold. And we would see this like beautiful little wooden structure set on a mountain plateau. And it's kind of like held into the ground on just like two suspension wires because it's so precarious, the position. And you kind of go to the front door and you firstly you're thinking, is it really going to be unlocked? Like that's what I read in my research, but is it going to be unlocked? And then when you push the door open, the next thought is, oh my God, who's going to be in here? Because we're in the middle of nowhere and Mm -hmm. that's terrifying. And you get in and, you know, when we were there, there was no one else in these cabins and you light the fire and you start making your noodles on the stove. Um, And then the light goes. And then my next thought is, who's going to arrive in the middle of the night? You know, so you've got all of these feelings um and i think being there and having that experience really brought to life the setting for me and helped me into my character's headspace mm-hmm. and their emotional territory that they would feel when i'm putting them out there in this hike was this a place that you had been to like had you been to norway before yeah. i'm just imagining okay i was just imagining like going out on this hike with someone else and like even like having that experience just being like okay we've got a map and in theory there are cabins out there yeah I mean honestly that's as basic as it was we just we went um my husband's he's a really good travel companion he's very Mm. easy going he carries more share of his uh luggage which is always good um and yeah he he was fine there was no plan like when we set out I bought a um just like a really good hiking map well it's just a map it wasn't even a hiking map just a really good like topographical map yeah and um yeah and we just were like oh when we arrived in Norway we didn't even know where we were going to go because I we wanted to see like where I had a couple of ideas but um we wanted to see what the weather was doing and so mm-hmm. we looked at the forecast and like okay well actually it's going to be drier in this part of Norway so let's do a four-hour drive not the two-hour drive and get up to here and then, yeah, we just set off and it was, it was great. It was just a real adventure and like terrifying at times as well, because you're out in the middle of nowhere and no one knows where you are. And I'm thinking we're making all the mistakes that someone would make in a film. Like we've told no one, we have no cell phone coverage. Like we haven't even packed enough food. Like what, well, you know, kind of all the basic things that suddenly you're just like, oh, this is why people make mistakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. I was just going to say, I I like while reading the book, like I was struck. I was like, "Oh my god, this feels so authentic!" And now I know why because you genuinely yeah. you put yourself in that situation. Oh. That's it. Yeah, I do the research. I do, and actually, when I, I another book that um, I love the research. It's probably my other favorite in terms of the research element was um, the Blue, which is my third novel, and that is set on a yacht in the Philippines mm-hmm. and. Um, I was paid a really tiny advance for the book back back then. And uh, I basically spent it all going out to the Philippines for six weeks. And I've never been there. I'd never sailed a yacht. Um, and we met up with a blogger that I had been following who blogged from this yacht that her mm-hmm. and her husband sailed on around the Philippines. And I'd been asking her loads of research questions. And then I said, look, I'm coming out. Can we meet for a drink? And she said, sure. And we met for a drink one evening on this bar where it had stilts and it was over the water and she moored up her and her husband an Australian couple had moored their tender to the bar and uh, we had a lovely chat and she said look 
to be honest, the best way for you to experience sailing in the Philippines is just to come on board and, and do it. Sail in the Philippines, yeah. And I was looking at my husband like, um, do we trust them? Are we going to be in like the plot of one of my books right now? Um, you know, two young travellers go aboard the yacht, aren't seen again. Um, but we thought, yeah, they seem really, they seem nice. Let's do it. So we took the tender out to their yacht and uh, we spent the next week sleeping on the deck of their boat beneath the mosquito net and just sailing around these incredible remote bays and islands. And, you know, that was a really wonderful special experience that I would never have had had it not been for writing and it just again made the book completely come to life mm. for me. so the research is a pleasure but it is also for me feels like a very essential part of the, the writing process yeah it's very very necessary and wow mm. I I feel like I could ask you questions about your various research trips for forever <laughs> and ever but you've been extremely gracious I have, I have one more question for you um I always have the author like kind of leave our conversation with just a recommendation of any kind it can be a book it can be um, a tv show I've had people say like go for walks more often but just something you would like to recommend that people do or know about a little bit more than they may know right now um I feel like, I mean, if I am to just recommend a book, uh, a book that I love, probably my favourite book of the year so far is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it, I've just finished reading it. Um, it's about gaming, which is not something that I do or have any experience of. But more than that, it's about uh, friendship and the creative process. And I just loved loved love this book it's incredibly compelling the characters are beautiful it just really opened my eyes to the creative process in a very different art form and I had perhaps been a little bit snobbish about gaming and just thinking like oh guns and I don't want my children doing it and all of that stuff but actually to learn about the process of it was fascinating and it seen it really does seem like a true art form so I would recommend um tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow hey wholeheartedly agree with that I had such um, a book yeah so Lucy the the hike is so wonderful I people are absolutely going to love it I can't thank you enough thank you so much for joining me today oh it's been a pleasure thank you for having me Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol it was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other Evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.